rule, my first rule of sport is pitch up. You know, the race will sort itself. You just have to be there and you just have to start. Whether you make it or you don't make it, you'll have a story to tell and you would have one hell of an adventure, good or bad. Hi everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of the podcast. My guest today is Toby Reinecke. In this episode, we talk about Toby's current quest to get to 100, 100 milers, of which he's currently on 91. We also get to know Toby, how he started running, a few stories about some adventures he's had. Please don't try this at home, as well as his plans for the future. Here's my chat with Toby. How are you doing, Toby? No, well, um, working hard and uh, running in between on weekends, but I'm happy and, and everything is going well. Okay, that's awesome. I saw you guys did a circuit race. Was it last week, the weekend before last? Hey. Yeah, it was the weekend before last. We, we did a dawn to dusk 100 miler, um, uh, which is probably the ninth time I've done it. And uh, so last weekend we went off and did Mount the Sources and um, we also did uh, a Prince Mangosuto with the lazy uh, 50k, 52k. Yeah. Um, from Nuntu to Dundee, which was basically the first um, road race that I could run in my number. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so we, we, we're running. Yeah. So you, you already recovered from that dawn to dusk run? Yeah, I was I was running slow, knowing that I had to go and do mountain sources and had to go and do um, the 52k road race. So you kind of you know adapt to to what you have to do. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I did that circuit race with Fricky and them. I mean, I did it slowly, but I I'm actually struggling to run this week because I I have a bit of a niggle from it. Yeah, it's because that uh, surface is very hard and, and, you know, at the moment there's a lot of turns in a thing. Yeah. Um, it gets to you either in your hips or your knees. and uh, But, you know, you just take the days you need and, and when you feel better, you go and run again. So I've not run since Sunday um, and, when, and I'll probably, if we didn't speak tonight, I would have run tonight. But, you know, I didn't feel like running for three days because I thought... Look, my body is telling me yeah. the mountain is speaking to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so Toby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it to a little bit. Um, if I talk too much, just interrupt me. Okay. Um, <laughs> I either don't talk or talk too much. But um, no, I was born in Freiburg in the Northern Cape. And um, so I grew up there in town and on the farms around there. And uh, I mostly played rugby and then ran about, um, uh, or let's just say, so ran about, what's it, the 13th of February 2008. Uh, I went for my first run in Pretoria, the Irene Lantern uh, Spa Run, which was a beautiful uh, a night 10K with lanterns and stuff there in Irene Farm. Yeah. And uh, I jumped over all the cones and somebody told me, stop irritating the people and, you know, run properly, you know. And <laughs> that's where my running started. So I joined Magnolia Road Runners Club in Pretoria and, and, and I work in Joburg as an attorney. So um, 
uh, off I went running. And um, so, you know, I took the runner's guide and I flipped through it and, and I pushed my finger on the race and I said, whatever race I'm going to put my finger on here is the one I'm going to run. And, and unfortunately for me, it was the Washi 100 miler. And <laughs> so, uh, there, there it went. So, you know, on the 10th of July in 2009, uh, off I went to the, to the Washi 100 miler. And uh, so, so, yeah, that, that, that's kind of where it all started for me um, to become serious. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's something I enjoy. I, I enjoy running and, uh, uh, it's good, good for me uh, because I work very hard, and uh, that balances it. Yeah. Well, wow, so you started with the big hundred. Wow. That's yeah. Look, when when I kind of started, I said to myself, okay, you know what? Let's do five five kilometers and ten ten kilometers and twenty one twenty one kilometers. Yeah. And uh, so you know, except for the finger in the book, you know, that was the plan. And, um, you know, life is an interesting thing, you know, the, the water or the river of life leads you on the way you should go. <laughs> and uh, unbeknownst to me, it was to be 100 miles, which uh, <laughs> kind of fits into a weekend, so I, I can fit it into my life. And, uh, uh, you, you know, being a runner, uh, you know, you've got all types of runners, you know, and depending on where you draw the line, um, you'll be a good runner. So for some people... It's a uh, hundred meters. Some people, it's uh, it's a ten k or twenty one or a marathon or whatever. Um, it seems to me that for me, <laughs> it's a bit further. Um, so I enjoy the run, and 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 you know what? Uh, uh, there's a lot of joy to be taken out of anything from park runs to to multi day runs, and uh, so yeah. Okay, so. Toby, when I met you, I think you had done 8,700 milers at Ado. Am I right? Or are my numbers a little yeah, we, bit we out? Were, yeah, I think that's where we were. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've moved on to 91 now. Um, wow. Obviously, the curfew is, is a big problem. Um, but, you know, here and there, we could slip in a Kenton 100 and a Mac Mac and a you know, uh, uh, ultra trail, Drakensberg and that sort of thing. So luckily the trail 100 milers, um, the organizers are brilliant. So we could continue. Um, so yeah, um, looking forward to Karkloof with you. Um, so that would be hopefully number 92. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so slowly, easy does it, as they say. I've, I've worked out long ago that we only got so, under, so many, you know, one of the things I do on the side is... Um, I try and, and, and pick up the 100-mile history in South Africa, and uh, I've, I've, I'm maybe 90% through a book on that. And uh, so from about 1933, I think we got about 273 100-milers run in South Africa, um, uh, which I could find. And um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to have been part <laughs> To, to finishing 91 of those. And there's a couple I missed um, due to whatever reasons uh, and didn't finish. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the, the, it's, and the Trail 100 Milers is really a nice addition to, to the running events in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. So, what made you think of doing 100, 100 Milers? What was the yeah, you, you know, so it's simply the five fives and then eventually I said to myself, okay, 
you know, you somebody that try and does what he says. So unfortunately, if you say 100, 100 milers, then that fits into 5-5 five, five case, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, so I got myself there. I'm, I'm trying to not do that in future, you know. Um, <laughs> So that's why I kind of avoid the 200 milers currently. <laughs> uh, so you know what, you have to have a priority list and cut off the bottom as old as you get because you won't get to everything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so as I went along, I eventually saw that um, some of the oaks in America has started uh, counting the 100 milers and, and the oak by the name of David Crockett doing wonderful history podcasts of ultra running um which you can look up on Facebook and on his uh, website. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started compiling that and I said, okay, okay, look, let's have a look at what these guys do. And, uh, you know, they've got a different method from us. Uh, maybe they'll do a 36-hour race or 48-hour race and run 100 miles and they'll count it as 100 miles or whatever. So yeah. for me, the goal is actually to run 100 events that, uh, market himself as 100 mile events and it uh, is as close as you can get to 100 mile events so that that's my goal and um, yeah so probably you know nine races away not sure when we'll get there but um, yeah it's it's been a fun journey because I would have not run a lot of them if it wasn't for that I wouldn't have repeated many of them if it wasn't for that uh, but for the fact that we only got so many 100 mile races in South Africa um uh, you know, I'll just have to to, to <laughs> go with the flow as long as it takes. That's how long it will take, yeah. Yeah, I think you might be done by 2023, actually, if you think about it. Maybe even next yeah. year. I Hopefully hopefully next year. I'll, um, I'll see how it goes. But um, you know what? Uh, hopefully if... Uh, Sean from Addo can get his uh, Loffer uh, 100 miler going in December, you know, that sort of thing. If there's a bit of extra 100 milers popping up here and there, it would be wonderful because, or if the washi doesn't get cancelled again, <laughs> yeah. um, that would be brilliant. So so it's a, it's a moving target. Um, but uh, you know what, it, it, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the destination. It's not necessarily about the journey always. It's just sometimes about uh, the company and about setting a goal and going for it. And, and whether you make it or not, it's not always that important. It's, it's getting up, getting out of the door, having a reason to do stuff. And, uh, and that's what it's been for me. It's, uh, it would be brilliant if I can do it. Um, but if I don't get there, it's not the end of the world. I would have had one hell of a lot of a journey in the process and fun and, and met people and seen places and, and had a lot of magic moments, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. So, Toby, how do you manage to not get injured? That's my big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, look. Uh, my first problem is I like to eat, so I have to keep running. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 you know what? Uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that 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 it's good for your health, and uh, so. For me, um, it's about running without, you know, when I started out, uh, I asked around, you know, what should we do? What shouldn't we do? And, uh, you know, everybody said, you know, use goose and use this and that. And then also you'll speak to people like Bruce Fordyce and they'll say, you know what? We started that nonsense. We would throw sugar and salt in water and 
call it a green mamba and we'll drink it. And, and now people think they have to do it and that sort of thing. And I quickly realized that the safest way for me as a runner is to actually feel my body and feel what's happening to it and experience the pain and, and not numb it by pulse or goose or whatever. Um, and because sometimes you just feel like you fall off a cliff, but to feel what you feel so that you can react to it. So I think the, the first reason would be that um, I try and tune into my body mm -hmm. so that I react in time. And then secondly, um, you know what, rest is training. So, so I'm really lazy otherwise. I run a lot, but I'm a bit like a sloth otherwise. And uh, I've assumed that protects me. Yeah. And um, you, you know what, run walk is a brilliant thing. Um, and, and I do a bit of race walking, so that helps. Yeah. But you, you know what, that, that, that's what it's about. Um, I can talk a lot about it, but I think that that's the major reasons and and just not being stupid <laughs> okay no that's interesting so if you had to choose i know this is always a hard one which one do you say is your favorite hundred and like just tell us about it and what was what was so memorable about it that it's your favorite you, you know what so um there was a race called the tougher puffer in, in in cape town you've got a puffer which is about 80k yeah. around the Cape Peninsula, and then you've got a tougher puffer, which would have been double that. And uh, basically, you'll start, would have started it somewhere at the Oceana Boat Club or the Victoria Waterfront, and you'll run over Table Mountain and, you know, uh, Constantia Neck and over the mountains, and eventually you run the Red Hill uh, Marathon route, a little turn to Comic Scarborough and in front of... Uh, Cape Point Nature Reserve, do a little turn, Simonstown, come back, um, and uh, oh, and, and, and things like that, and you basically run back over Table Mountain. And um, so I've got a bit of a history there, but I, I, I won't bore you with that. Um, but one of the most magic moments I had there, um, and, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, I have to cut the story in half, otherwise I'll talk too long about it, is... Um, no, you know what? tell us the story. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> Give us so at least stories, one or two good stories. Yeah, no, no, I've got too many. That's the problem. So, so you know what? You, you're you running alone, and, and, and as you're running on those star roads, you run to Comic Scarborough, and the wind is howling, and the sea is hitting the road next to you, and there's nobody. It's just you, the tar road, the sea on your left, the bit of mountain on your right. And uh, the moon is shining through the mist and, and this waves is so rough, the, the, it blows the water over you. And, yeah. and as you go through through Komiki and Scarborough, you know, I'm tired. So I'm, I'm looking, I see this nice little piece of grass in, in the town there. And I'm tired and I'm alone and I'm a bit afraid, I won't say. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> so you run in and out and, and now I'm lying here and this, yes, yes, it's this baboon looking at me, you know. And uh, so I picked his spot in the middle of the night. And, and you know what? Magic like that. It's just a, a magic moment there. And you're scared because you're running, hearing your own footsteps chasing you. And, and then you turn around and you go back and you, and you, you, on your left, there's a farm with ostriches running next to you. And then yeah. you go in front of the gate of, of, of uh, the nature reserve and you're running into this headwind and you're going more backwards than forwards. And then eventually you go over there and you see Falls Bay and uh, and the sun is almost coming out and suddenly 
you know, you hear these whales singing in the bay, you know, wow. and, uh, and, and you go and you sit down, you look at the sun coming out and you listen to this whale singing there and, and, and suddenly the wind and everything is gone and, and, and you're having a magic moment there. And then you have to get up, you, of course, you're basically halfway now. <laughs> and, uh, and run back over Table Mountain. And, 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 and you know what, moments like that, that that's what makes it for me. And, uh, and, and I don't forget them because, you know, sometimes you drive in the traffic and, and you, you're thinking back about that and you hear that and, and you're alive with it, you know, and, and that's what it's about. It's, it's catching those moments in your net and, and taking it with you and, and having them when you need it and, and and sometimes they just come back to you and you you feel the wind and you 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 know you live it again and, and that's brilliant. Well um I spoke to Linda Doak and she, she said she started trail running at that race. That was her first experience of trail running at the Tafa Puffa, that race that you just and and you know I'll tell you a story. So I got lost one year on it. <laughs> I'll don't tell you getting lost, but what I'll tell you after a lot of getting lost, and eventually I'm hitting a piece of tar right under the dams there. Yes. And, you know, here comes Linda running full speed, having run away from all the men, and she's going back. She's done the whole loop. <laughs> and I say to her, no man, Linda, you know, I've gotten lost and everything. And, and now I have to watch you going home already you know? <laughs> and, and but but she's such an awesome runner and and you know what uh, I think I've tired her in a lifetime having to be a sweep for me in, in the Cedarburg the last time I got uh, lost and, and swings but yeah. a brilliant runner you know there's some you, you can learn so much from her and, and an awesome person yeah okay nice so that's your favorite only or do you have another one maybe oh, no, you know what all of them are favorites you know <laughs> You know what, if, if you run in the Cedarburg and you look around and you see all these rocks lying around and you look at the Wolfberg, uh, Wolfberg cracks and, and the, you know, the Maltese cross and the clear rivers and you go to UTD and you same thing, the beautiful rivers and the views you have and you go to Karkloof and the forests and the and, and, and you know the pink lightning you sometimes get there yeah. and you go to Mac Mac and, and you've got similar stuff and then you go to the Kenton 100 and you're running next to the sea and, and, and you, you know what we've got one of the most beautiful places to run in um, in the world and, and there's so many choices and so many beautiful and great races so, so each one of them are so special uh, I don't even think about choosing because you can go and do all of them <laughs> you don't have to choose you just have to say <laughs> no that's <laughs> true yeah no i think south africa is very fortunate very very beautiful country so mm -hmm. i'll help you because you don't know me that well you know me from the hundreds and the trail running and uh, I'll, I'll take you a bit back and, and okay. i'll give you more stories because you said to me you want to hear stories <laughs> this is this know. podcast is about <laughs> storytelling <laughs> and running so <laughs> yeah so so you Look, so I started running on the washi thing and I'll decide now if I'll tell you that story. But, you know, so where I sit now, I've, I've run probably 45,000 plus kilometers in races and, and I've probably done about 1,400 races and, and of, of which about 197 ultras and, and, and 173 marathons and they road races and circuit races and uh, trail races and, and everything, you know. And uh, so, so... 
I've met a lot of people and I've learned from a lot of people and a lot of people has inspired me. And, um, and, and, you know, when I began running, so it was mostly obviously the older road runners and, and um, because that's where I started on the road and, and a lot of these things came only later on. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I, I decided to do, uh, I joined a thousand kilometer challenge, which was then run by Paul and Jenny Selby, which basically entailed that you you try and, and run a gold or a silver medal or a bronze medal, which, which would be um, a thousand kilometers in races a year or 1,609 or 2,414 kilometers. So so it ended up being a weekend after weekend thing, chasing people like Rick Marini that's run double around the world. And, you know, it's all sort of little goals. Like you could, if you, if you can run around the world on the equator, which is something like 40,075 kilometers, they give you a nice trophy and, and badges and stuff. And um, so off we went with that. And uh, uh, also, you know, Later, I took it over and I ran it for a couple of years, and then I gave it over to somebody else. So a lot of, a lot of, I met a lot of people in different clubs and and places, and and that was wonderful because you're meeting people that's in different um, environments, and you all become friends, and you start driving around. And you know, I said last weekend I went with, or this past weekend I went with a, a guy called Julian Cobb, which is an amazing runner. He's probably the South African that's run the most. Marathons and ultras, which is uh, before the weekend, he was on 819 of them. And his goal is to run a thousand um, marathons slash ultras. That's also wow. races. And he got stuck um, last year. My last formal uh, road race was only dumb last year. And his was something similar. So so he phoned me. He said, look, Toby, let's, let's, I know you're going to do mountain sources, but you know what? Come and run with me. Um, the Prince Mangosutu Ultra 52, because this is going to be my 820th um, of race. So if, if you you would have seen Julian Cobb, you would know him. He's got long hair, gray hair. He's yeah. always dressed like a 70 runner. And, you know, we went the other year, we went to do the Mahuba Splunge uh, Marathon and Mahuba um, Skloof. And, you know, we got out of the, in Tabazimbi, Achtanin, we got out of in the parking area and this oak said to him, Yes, like Jesus Fritz Manier. You, you, <laughs> Julian looks a bit like Tarzan, you know, he's got a cut-off shirt and, and, and so on. Yeah. And, and it's just a smaller version of that, but an amazing runner. So, so you know, when you go around with people like Julian, you, you tend to do things um, differently. So, so, you know, he said to me, okay, you know what, run, uh, run mountain sources and eat your milk tarts on, on the parking area there. And then when you're done, get in your car, drive 171 kilometers to Dundee. I'll find you there. We get up at three o'clock in the morning. We get on the back of a bucket or a taxi. We go to Nuntu and uh, we, we run back and, and, and that sounds like a great weekend. So you meet friends like that. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so another little hobby me and Julian have is, is what we call the triple, you know. So what we always, always tell the youngsters in the 1,000 kilometer challenge is if you haven't done the triple, you've not done it, which would normally be you run uh, in Middleburg or, or, or Akasha or Wonder Park. You run a marathon in the morning. You'll drive through to Ottersdal, you'll run the marathon there in the evening, yeah. and then you'll drive through to Johnson Crane, and the next morning you'll run the marathon there. And, you know, being challenges, we'll throw in a 5K or a swim afterwards. And so me and Julian has been done, doing that for a couple of years, and, and it's brilliant 
in the sense that that it learns you to run back-to-back uh, races, which is yeah. very good for you if you want to run further. So, so that's a, a bit of history there and a bit of fun there and, and, and amazing people. And you've met Eric Wright, which is an absolutely phenomenal runner. You know, he holds South African records, which people don't know about. And, and he's run uh, the most washies and, and things like that. So, so that's where I started between guys like that. And, and I've learned a lot of them, from them and I enjoy their company and running with them because I know what amazing people they are. Yeah. And then there was an older generation from that, the Archer brothers and, and even more amazing runners and, and people before them. So, so you know what? So all these people eventually led me to, to do a thing. So in about 2011, I, I, I decided, you know what? Let me go and run a, a double comrades for, for charity. So I phoned up young player, Gary Player's brother, and I said, look, I want to do something for rhinos and, and, and to help me. Who should I do it for? And he gave me some advice. And we started, I started 12 hours before comrades in Peter Maritzburg. And yeah. the Oak of Comrades set me off there. And off we went running towards uh, uh, Durban. And then we would turn around, uh, wait a bit for the start, turn around, run back to a normal race and finish it off. That yeah. was the plan, <laughs> which, which went fine, you know. And um, so off we went and we, as we started, you know, we put a nice flashing light on the vehicle and we're driving down polys. And now this out looking at what is going on here, yeah. drove into another car, you know. <gasps> I thought my second away because they were looking at us, you know. <laughs> feeling bad so so you know what but it was magic you know running through in changa at night and and you know we we had to time the highway into durban so that it's closed by the time we get there so now i'm running in into durban on that closed highway on my own like running through in changa at night it's such a beautiful feeling and you know we get we 100 meters from the finish and the runners already in the sinning batches and this lady stops us and said, no, you can't. You have to go that way, you know. And we're a bit tired. So we run there and we run 100 meters. I say to my friend, Jan, Jan, what, there's something wrong. She's sending us through a shopping center. No, this can't be right. So we run back. So I say to her, look, I'm a bit tired. And so I'll make you a deal. If I can run past you without catching me to the finish line, then, you know, it would be fine. I, I will go the other way. But if you can't catch me, that's where I'm going. <laughs> so I sprinted the lady and I made it there. And so, okay, now I've arranged and I sat a bit in the car there. And so, uh, you, you know, and I said, okay, I, I got into, I had a good seating there, I think a C or B. So I went in a seating batch for the start and then I realized I'm too tired. So I stood to the side, let everybody run past. And I had, no, had a little joke of this oh, looking for his shoe there from a batch and everybody went past. So problems happen even at comrades. And so now I follow these guys and, you know, I'm too tired. And eventually at 15 Ks, you know, I realized, you know what, Toby, if you don't run, you're not going to do this. And so now I started digging deep and we ran and, and that was the double comrade. So, so, you know, uh, that was 2011. So in, in 2012, I, I, I had, I had bad vision and, and then in 2012 I was sitting in a house and suddenly I see I couldn't see the numbers or the writing on a TV remote and something was wrong and you know I realized okay um, uh, what should I do so we, we went to the 
uh, our hospital and I said to me, look, you're retina is torn. Uh, we have to do emergency operation. Otherwise, you're going to go blind, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up doing this operation and, and which was terribly painful. And uh, uh, unbeknownst to me, I would have a second one a year or two later. A similar thing happened to the other eye. Yeah. And But by now, I knew what it was about. And uh, yeah, so now I can't run. And I've entered Comrades. And the deal was, you know, uh, my wife at that time, we will run together at Comrades. And uh, now I can't run. So I asked the doctor, you know, when we were there for a checkup, you know, specialist, you know, what? can I run? No. Can I walk? Yeah, no, you can walk. So I said to my wife, look, um, let's, I'll just start with you because that was the plan and, and we'll see how it goes. And um, uh, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I went along, and but now the one eye is closed, shut, and the thing's over. And um, it's tough down polish because everybody bends down and I can't bump anybody and I'm trying to walk. And as I'm seeing, no, look, it's going well, you know, and I'm going to make it. And then I realized in the middle that a pacing band has got an error in it and I have to walk fast. <laughs> yeah. So eventually I saw, okay, you're going to make it, but you're just going to make it or you're not just going to make it. So now I'm going 11.50 something. I'm going onto the grass in Peter Maritzburg and, and now my, uh, we are in Durban, I think. And um, now I can't see properly. I don't know how long we're going to walk around this course and I can't see the end and everything is yellow. And so now I realize, okay, now I have to make a decision. I, I must, I might be close to the finish. I don't want my doctor and my mother to see me. So I'm walking on the side with my head down so that nobody can recognize me that, that shouldn't. And, and then I realized, okay, you know what, whatever is happening, you don't know how much time there is, you can't see the finish, just run the last whatever. So I started running the last 150 meters later. And so I finished in something like 158 something, you know, and it was a bit close. <laughs> that, that, that was that year. So that was the year I had to walk comrades. And uh, so then um, I decided a bit later, I got this oak that said, look, they're looking for this German blind runner. He wants to do comrades. So, you know, I kind of said to him, okay, no, maybe I'll help, you know. And and so I spoke to Anton Luber. He's been blind from when he was born. He said, no, look, we're coming to Durban. We're uh, sort of a tour of, of uh, bad-sighted people and blind people. We're coming to run comrades. There's two or three blind runners of us. And then we're off, going off to St. Lucia and Kruger National Park and so on. And um, so... I said to him, okay, I'll meet you on the park run the day before comrades because I like doing the park runs to work. You know, just get the anadrilin out of your system and, and yeah. see if you're fine. And, um, yeah, so I met him at, at, at the park run. He sort of, somebody brought him and I said, okay, you know, Anton, what's the plan? Let's do the park run together. And, you know, I sort of said to him, you know, um, what is plan B? He said to me, there's no plan B. I said, but there must be a plan B because I can't exactly <laughs> tie you to a tree in front of the TV cameras. I won't get away with that, you know. Yeah. And he said, there's no plan B. I said, okay, there's no plan B. So we're running this park run and I realized, okay, although we've done similar mileage, he's, he's a better runner than I am. And uh, you know what? I have to make a plan. So I didn't tell him. I, I moved him one seating badge back because I... <laughs> We realized if we run in the, the, the seating badge he qualified for and I qualified for, he's going to run me into the ground before the end. So yeah. now I've learned a bit of German, you know, uh, gerade aus, straight on and whatever, you know. 
And I said to him, look, Anton, I've got basic German and, and I'll communicate with you. But all I'm going to do is I'll put my, my elbow against yours and we'll just have a little piece of rope between us and, and we'll figure it out. And uh, so now we go and it's a very congested comrades and, and, you know, it's difficult. And uh, so, you know, I have to keep talking to people to make way and a lot of them won't. And at Drummond, you know, I, I, I won't say it too loudly, but I ran a lady out of the road who took selfies in the only place we could pass because she didn't want to move. And, uh, you know, it's difficult running with a blind runner if people don't react to the fact that he's blind and uh, or don't believe you and so on. But so, so yeah, so we did okay. Uh, the only one thing that I missed is going into uh, Peter Maritzburg. Uh, you know, I would tell him there's a speed pump coming, but the speed pump was going into a dip. So the, if he went over the speed pump, it wasn't flat on the other side. It was still dropping. So, so you know, that's that's something I made the mistake on. We almost fell, but otherwise it went okay. So, you know what? So uh, if, if ever I was emotional, that was my most emotional race ever finishing with him understanding the bravery and the courage he had to, you know, train for a race he's never been to, to run with a oak that he's never met and to just run comrades. And, and you know what, I think I was, I was even more emotional than he was because it, it was such an accomplishment for him. It was so amazing for what he's done because realizing that, you know, you, you, you there, you're the only person that can take him there and he's, he could have run away from you, yeah. but he needed you, and and it was so amazing, and 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 it humbled me to extend that, that I would just say, you know what, it's so special, and uh, so yeah. Then I, now I'm walking around. <laughs> I said to him, look, Anton Luber, I'm walking around with you here in the foreigner tent because somebody needs to claim you, <laughs> because uh, you know you can't show me who your wife is. I don't know how she looks. So I'm going to keep circling until somebody claims you. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, to me, don't worry. My wife will claim me. <laughs> and eventually his wife did claim him. And, uh, and, and you know what? That, that was an awesome experience. And uh, uh, so that, that, that was that. And um, yeah, so, so eventually the, the next thing I went for was a double washy sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll, I'll save you that story. Maybe I'll give you a chance to talk a bit and, and so that I can just get some oxygen, you know, because there's no general oxygen, you know. <laughs> no, Toby, I wanted to ask. So you said you had to have surgery in both eyes. So what does that mean for you now visually, like when you're running and stuff? How do you manage it? Look, so um, uh, so those ops was basically to stop me from going blind. Um, mm -hmm. So so my eye history is actually very simple. I, I wore glasses from uh, young age until standard six or grade eight. And you know what? That was my 13th set of, of glasses. And I threw a rock into the air and it fell through the one glass. And my mother said, no. This is not going to work. We're just going to go on to contact lenses being the new thing then. And uh, so I wore contact lenses for years. And then eventually 
um, that didn't work anymore because it's simply the problem I have is my eyes are not around enough. So they can't get a focus point anymore for glasses or contact lenses. And uh, I have to wait until there's some new innovation on, on contact lenses and then I can see a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but the eyes have got different problems. Um, so when I look at a moon, I see seven moons with the one eye and bright colors. And with the other one, it's like looking through plastic. But the long and the short is I can see maybe the width of a hand in front of me, I can see clearly. That means I can't see the ground. And for the last couple of years, um, you know what, I couldn't wear any glasses or contact lenses that could make me see. And that is additional um, to the fact that, uh, um, you know what, uh, we've gone past a lot of ops for other reasons. And uh, so, so, you know, I was at Addo, you know, I get to a point because it becomes difficult when you're on a mountain, whether it's Addo or, or Drakensburg or wherever, because, you know, I have to run with my walking stick pushing and to see if there's a cliff uh, side to drop off or a hole where I'm going to go into and I have to slow down. So I've got some simple rules. I never step on a dark spot because it might be a hole. I never, you know, I feel with my sticks and stuff. So mostly, you know, when I'm a cliffside, you know, I'm a bit like, you know, a geiki on the wall. You know, I'm the guy either on my stomach or clinging to the rock side or being scared <laughs> yeah. because I can't see. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, it, it got bad. Um, so at Addo, you know what, a lot of people passed me on that last stretch because I could simply not risk falling off the cliff because I couldn't see where I'm going. And, and this is mostly the reason I get lost on some races. And uh, But so on, on the end of April after Addo, I actually went back to the hospital. I said to him, guys, I'm at a point where I'm going to lose my driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there not something new we can do? And I said, yeah, there's something new. You know, it's it's a contact lens that's um, a bit like a, a alien spaceship in the old movies. You know, it's got a, a bottom part and then the actual contact lens sits on the top part. And um, so so we tried the contact lens, but only on the one eye because it's the only one. I can do something on the one eye, but the other one I can't do anything anymore for. And, and you know what? With that, I could actually, from not seeing any letters on the board, to seeing actually some letters on the board, um, to seeing people's faces. Um, yeah. You know what? I went outside and I sat in the car and I cried a little bit because uh-huh. actually see people's faces again. And, and it's not perfect, but but you know what? Not being able to see people's smiles for more than a decade. You know, if I run, I either had to recognize you on your running style or I had to wait until you spoke to me to know who you are. <laughs> so, so you know, that's still part of my life to a certain extent because these races are long and I can't wear the contact lens that long. A contact lens has maybe got six to eight hours life in it before you have to to put it in solution probably for 12 hours and if you don't you know you take a terrible beating on your eye for and then you have to leave the contact lens out for a week or so so it's been a bit of this and a bit of that um but yeah being able to see would be brilliant because i run on all these mountains and i can't see a thing so i take pictures and i zoom in afterwards you know yeah uh that's so cool so the next time you see me hopefully hopefully you'll see my face you know what the wonderful thing is you've got such a lovely smile i can actually see your smile you know so so that's brilliant (laughs) thanks toby oh my word okay now you're gonna make me teary-eyed um (laughs) so 
So, so um, this year you're also going to be go- you're also going for AMAC. Well, you're not going for it, but it looks like you're going to get AMAC this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by chance, by accident, I don't know. <laughs> or, you know what the thing is, this now. You know, life has got a way of putting you on the journey you have to go. So you know, a MOOC came by last year, and you know what I looked at it in my back of it. I said, oh, okay, you know what, let's do it, you know, see what happens. And and so I got lost on UTD due to my eyesight. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a certain cutoff and, and you know, uh, there's really a lot of difficulties when you can't see and especially when there's mist, it's, it's, it's impossible for everybody, but even more so for me. And, uh, you know, then your GPS doesn't work. You can't see the tags. And, and so, in uh, I ended up over a hundred k's, and I ended up going between two uh, markers which I couldn't see in the rain and the mist. And I went through a river, and I was up until my chest in the river. And I went through on the other side, and I realized I've run hard, but I don't know where the hell I am. Yeah, <laughs> and and that was the reason I didn't finish a MOOC last year. And so what I normally do is. I just go and lie down and accept the fact that I'm going to miss the cutoff. I eat all my sweets I have. <laughs> and then I will normally phone Spurgeon and say, Spurgeon, I've done it again. You know, <laughs> I've lost my GPS, lost the route, whatever. Just tell me where I am. How do I get to you? And um, and then he'll tell me, okay, there's somebody that's going to pass near you. Follow her. And if it's a lady, I scare the hell out of her. <laughs> she runs away from me. But then I got a Marcus at least. <laughs> so so the reason I missed the MOOC last year was basically my eyesight again, and uh, which I just said, okay, you know what? There's no way uh, I can finish this race still. I'm not 100 miles, and I can still finish it in time. But... I've missed the cutoff, so I have to respect that. So I will, I will stop because that the organisers need you to listen to them because they can't be everywhere all the time, and they need to cut off the backside so that they can look at the front side. So, so yeah, I thought, okay, well, I could have done it, but I didn't. So it's just that, and I left it there. So this year, you know, I did a normal hundred milers, and I decided, you know what, I'm not going to try Drakensberg again. It's it's too expensive with all the other hundreds and. So I get this phone call from Spurgeon. He says to me, I see you haven't entered. I said, Spurgeon, you, you, you know what? <laughs> I don't have the money. He said to me, you know what? Just enter. I'll sort you out. So he gave me a free entry this year. And, and I'm very thankful for that. He didn't need to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like to do that because organizers have got serious expenses. But, but you know what? I, I also don't like unfinished business. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, you know what? Bugger this. If I can go and kick Drakenberg's butt this year, I will. Yeah. Entered, off I went. It worked out thanks to Spurgeon, basically. And now we're looking at Kartloof. And and you know what? The wonderful thing about 100 miles, you never know if you're going to make it. Yes. Which is brilliant. That's why we yeah. do it, you know? And, and so if I do make a MOOC, it would be wonderful. And if everybody that's in it, the five of us, makes a MOOC, that would be more than wonderful. But you know what? If we don't make it, we will be still be, you know, I've got a rule. My first rule of sport is pitch up. You know, the race will sort itself. You just have to be there and you just have to start. Whether you make it, where you don't make it, you'll have a story to tell and you would have one hell of an adventure, good or bad. Yeah. And, and you know, 
you need to earn your war scars and your stripes. And uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm thankful. The only reason I can do that is basically due to Spurgeon. And, um, and, and, but you know what? I like the MOOC races. I like the organizers. They're all such beautiful people and their wives and their families. And, and, you know what? You really want to do these things. And, and you know what? Everybody can try and do a MOOC. Um, you know, it's just a little bit of a wait <laughs> yeah. from uh, last one to Karkloof that gets to you. But in my case, I just go and run another 100 mile that keeps me busy, you know. <laughs> that is my stress. <laughs> yeah. So um, how how do you feel about Karkloof at the moment? I know you said uh, you just pitch up, but how are you feeling about it? You know what, um, the closer we get and the more I see how happy the other people are to be there, you, you, you know what, we'll talk about movies and stuff a bit later on, but that 100 mile horizon movie that uh, Southern Low, Low, Low Star and Andre Riedinger made is such a special and beautiful movie. I've watched it a million times, uh, especially because of the honesty of the people involved there and, and what I tell you about the race. And you, you know what the things I've experienced there over the years. Um, I've run all of them from the start. And, you know, there was pink lightning some years, other years. You know what, uh, you, we, we, we skied down uh, some sections we couldn't run. Then we had hail. Then we had this. Then we had warm. Then we had dirt. And and you know what the the variety and the beauty of the places we run through and the magic of the people that you meet of, at Karkloof is so special. Um. So so you know I um. It's like you know going back to your family each time you go to these races. And 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 you know what I've learned um is that. To be happy for other people's success makes you a better person. And, and for me, for everybody going there to be successful, that, that's what makes me happy. You, you know what makes me cry is when other people are happy. That, that's what makes me cry. Uh, if they successful, uh, I mean, I look at what happened at UDD, um, how well certain people ran, and, and, and it makes you really, really happy to see that. So, so I'm feeling that vibe, you know, and Andrew's got a nice vibe to his race, and, uh, and, and, and you know what, that's what I'm looking forward to. So, so the running, it's going to be tough, it's going to be difficult, but knowing that I'm going to see these beautiful spaces, that I'm going to run through them again, um, I keep watching the 100 mile horizon over and over again because it reminds me about how special the people and the places there is. Yeah, that's so true, actually. I, I'm, you're, you're getting me excited about it. I mean, I'm nervous because it's my first 100, but you're right. The people in the community, it's just amazing, really is. I would have been worried if you were not nervous. Because that that's the one thing you should be a little bit. You should be a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you need, you know. You you have to have that little bit of butterflies, you know. And and you know, when I start playing that song and it's that everybody's headlamps is on, headlamps is on and, and like pumping you up for the start, you know what, and you go out of the gate and, and there off you go, and then suddenly you're running in the night, you hear the footsteps and you talk to some people and and you know and sometimes you're running next to a guy and then uh, uh, animal runs into his leg type of thing that happens to somebody just kind of drops you into the ditch six meters down you know things like that happen you have a little bit of a laugh (laughs) and you run on but but there's a certain magic about 
running through the night. And, and, and that's what's make 100 miles special, is running through the night and the difference between when the, how you feel before the sun comes up and how you feel after the sun come, comes up. It's so different. And, and, you know, you have to experience that. You have to, you have to cry a little bit. You have to laugh a, bit, a little bit. You have to get dirty, you know, and, and that's what it's about. You have to meet people. You have to solve the world's problems in the middle of the night. You know, that's what you need to do. And you have to help one another. And, and, and you know, that's, that's what makes it so wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're definitely going to have a good weekend. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about before we get to the last bit of the questions. You know, my my fear is that I'm going to talk too much. You know, so there's, there's a lot I can still tell you, but but you know what? You just lead a conversation. I'll talk forever. So <laughs> okay. So here's here's one. If if there's any maybe five lessons that you would say you learned through running that you would um, like to share with us? Okay, you've got a long list, you know. <laughs> it's five too long. Okay, maybe three. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't matter. I'll get to five. You know, I'll get to 100 if it has to be. You know, um, um, look, uh, I think, uh, like I said, the, the first rule of sport is to pitch up. You know, that, that's what sport has learned me, and that's what running's learned me. Um the second thing is that, you know, you have to, to learn about yourself and your body because especially running 100 milers, um, you learn to be who you are. And, and that's wonderful because you are honest about your body, you're honest about your personality, and you're honest about what your limitations is, because if you go over your limitations, you will learn where they are. That's the only way. And and you know what? Uh, if you play rugby, then sometimes you run for the to score the try, and then unbeknownst to you, somebody runs right behind you back and just tackles you from behind where you couldn't see you, you see him, or and then you fall so hard because you didn't see him coming and you were seeing the score line and you're taking out like that. And life is a bit like that. And, and, um, and it, it throws you curveballs and, and it throws you with chains, even if you don't like chains. And this is what running does to you. It learns you that there's changes, that you will get tackled suddenly, that you have to deal with a million life questions through one run. And, and you'll have to learn to solve them all to get to where you want to go. And, and that's part of what, what running makes you good at. And you know what? So so one day I, I went, I ran a marathon, Wally Aywood marathon. You know, we and the kids, we went eating something. And as I went back to the car and I touched the door from, I said to my wife, I think I'm not going to be able to speak in three minutes time like now. And we got into the car and suddenly I couldn't speak. She took me to Unitas Hospital. By then I couldn't walk. She pushed me into emergency and they said to me, look, you should have died of a stroke now. And, wow. and you, you know what, because I've got uh, uh, high blood pressure, which we don't know what the cause about it is. And I mean, I was in my 30s and the cardiologist said to me, look, the only reason you survived is because you've run all these 100 milers. Your body was used to the strain that your heart took when you, you got this uh, kind of a heart attack that almost killed you. And, and, you know, even today, if I go there for a checkup at a cardiologist and they put me on the, the walker to check my heartbeat, you know, the, the lady also says to me, please, sir, get off. 
you're not going to make it. <laughs> and then I just smile and I say, don't worry, I'll make it, you know. And uh, so so running to a certain extent has always sa- also saved my life um, because if I didn't do what I did, that, that would have been the end of me way too early. <laughs> Got a lot of stuff I want to do still. And, and, and you know what? It's, there's so many broken people that's found a solution in running, which is a positive solution, which is not drinking drugs, whatever. You can look at American people like Katra Corbett, and there's so many people out there, yeah. and amazing people like Joe Kepler's story, and, and we can go on and on, and, and meeting these people and listening to what has happened to them in their lives and what they've lived through, and, and then you know you're surrounded by absolutely wonderful human beings and, and helping one another and being a family and, and oh, you know what, I can go on forever. So, so that's my experiences. That's the great things that running's brought to my life. And what it teaches us is not to be scared, not to be afraid if you fail. Um, you just, it learns you, you know what I teach my children? I say to them this, you know, when everything goes wrong and everybody hates you and you feel miserable and you're lying on the kitchen floor crying, you cry and you dust it off and you get up and you go on. And that's what running teaches you is you can cry. It's fine. But after it's all done, you get up and you go on because you're going somewhere. And, and that's what, what makes running special or walking. Okay. So you gave me three, I think. Okay. So, so I'm going to stop there. I'm okay. going to give you a chance to ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, I think that also um, covers the impact. You've told us your favorite race. We sort of know what's happening for the rest of the year. So I'm going to the last bit of the questions now. So what is the craziest thing you've experienced as a runner or something that you'd like to tell us that only runners would understand? Okay, there's a couple of crazy things that's happened in my in, but I'll tell you two or three short ones, you know, and they all sort of kind of the similar thing. So the one year on Tuffer Puffer, you know, um, I've, uh, we've tried to meet up with Linda beforehand. She's going to show us sections of the route and we got there and it was raining too much and it didn't work out. And then we went down again and I said to this oak, look, you know the road, I'm going to run with you. We're going to share a second year and we're going to make it. And then as we went off at the Black Hill, as the sun set, he just suddenly disappeared on me and he ran away from me in the side bushes. And now I'm standing here in the middle of nowhere not knowing where I am. And then, unfortunately, the old man that was seconding us gave me a light at the car, and then I realized the light is kind of flat. It's not going to last. But he did tell me, you know what, just follow this the white path, So, which was the wrong advice, by the way. So I'm following this white path, and uh, eventually I get lost, hell and gone. I don't know where I am. And suddenly I realize there's something in front of me here. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what it is, but it's dead still and it's taller than me. Now I'm standing still and this thing is standing still. And eventually I went through the options. Eventually I asked this thing. I just want to check, are you a person on a horse? And this person answers me, yes, I am a person on a horse. And I'm just scared you're going to frighten my horse. And and, and that's why I'm not, we're not moving. Yeah. And you know, we've been standing there for maybe two or three minutes looking at each other, not sure, because the moon didn't get up yet and you can't see proper. And um, so so I asked this person, I say, but 
since you were a man on a horse driving, riding around at night, I'm sure you know where the hell you are. He said, yes, he does, you know. I said, but that's brilliant because I don't know where I am, but this is where I need to go. Will you please tell me where I have to go? You know, and he sort of directs me and, and that sounds brilliant and off I go and it works well and eventually it, it ends on me. And, and I think, oh man, really the light has died. I don't know where I am. I'm just going to sit on this white rock and I'm going to sulk now. And, and as I sit down, I realize it's not a rock. It's a, a bush of white flowers and I'm <laughs> falling nicely into the middle of it, you know. <laughs> And, um, and you know, that broke the moment and suddenly I was positive again and I had a little <laughs> laugh at myself. You know, I realized, okay, no, the route doesn't end here. It is kind of a route after this bushes. And uh, so eventually I found my way and it was a great run. So that, so that was an interesting one. And and one of the others was, so we I'm doing Cedarburg and so I'm running. And now the previous year I've, I've lost my... Um, GPS because I took out the batteries and stored them separate and uh, somewhere the batteries got lost on the route and when I wanted to put the batteries in to see where I am um, I got you know I couldn't know I didn't know so I thought okay there's there's a little town I'm going to go to town and ask where the hell I am but unfortunately that year they also gave us a map that was out of focus so we couldn't use the map either. So I go to I go to that guy there. He's the only guy that knows where you should be going. And so I get there. He says to me, "No, I have to get find my glasses first. And you know, eventually he tells me, "Go there, and you know, and this and this, you'll kind of find a route." And I kind of follow him. And then I want to go back a quick route, which I learned going there. And he says, "No, go straight." But unbeknownst to me. The sweepers of the race went around the other side of this little hill and I went around the other side and they removed all the markers. While I was now, you know, following the route, supposedly, there was no markers anymore. They have a GPS, didn't have a map. There wasn't even markers. So I ran and I ran and I ran to find this, um, this route. And eventually I came to this building. And from this building, there was 13 paths. I counted them because I had to. <laughs> not knowing where I am, and yeah. I had to pick one of these 13 paths. And I said, okay, the sun is kind of setting. So I started running all 13 of them, and a lot of them dead-ended. And I turned around, and I ran back. So eventually, I had two left. Now I'm quite tired, and I saw, okay, I have to choose now because sun is setting, and I choose one. And off I went on this path, and it took me up a mountain, seemed right, and then eventually I ended up on this lovely mountain with a beautiful view, except... That's where it stopped. <laughs> so I thought, okay, you know, the sun is setting. It's a beautiful view. I'm enjoying it. But, you know, I have to get off the mountain. I thought, okay, let me drop down this valley. And maybe, you know, if I keep walking, I should walk out of the mountains to one of the towns. And um, so uh, I dropped into this valley and I said to myself, okay, just, you know, the rocks around me is a bit red and so on and just keep to the left side of the river always, and then you know more or less where you are because it's getting dark and so on. And um, so I keep walking, walking, and eventually cross a couple of rivers with the one, a white river on my right hand side. And then I started hearing waterfalls. And I realized, okay, this is not right because if I hear waterfalls, this means I can't walk out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I realized, okay, to me, there's a first waterfall, there's a second one, there's a third one. And it's one hell of a drop. There's no way you're going to walk out of here. So now it's late and um, it's cold and then there's nowhere to go. And I thought, okay, 
go away from the river. It's cold there. Go up the mountain. So I go up the mountain and uh, there's just these rocks standing there. So I said, okay, you know what? Let me um, uh, just, you know, sit between these rocks, dig a hole in the ground. And, and because now the wind is starting to howl and it's really, really cold. And uh, I've got short pants on and, uh, and I think I had one bar left because the, I should just have ran 13 k's to the next checkpoint, but without markers and the checkpoints being removed and without the GPS and without a chart and map in focus, I was buggered. So, of course, I can't see prior to, I decided, okay, it's unsafe for me. Let me just sleep the night and I can mm-hmm. run when the sun comes up. So, so now I'm there and it's cold, but now I've, I've got a tracker. So I said, okay, let me put a tracker on a rock next to me and hopefully the boons won't steal it. And, uh, you know, what the other thing we learned is that there's this little camera traps there for the mountain leopard there. And you know what? If you pass them, they take a picture of you. And if you don't expect them, you think the aliens is going to catch you and swift you away to Mars. <laughs> so having lived through that and all these things, now I'm, I'm duck in, you know. But what I didn't know is the moment you're stationary, this little tracker doesn't beep anymore. And they don't know where you are. You know, <laughs> they can't plot you. So... So now, you know, I'm trying to sleep and I'm, you know, uh, singing this little church songs whose words I've forgotten, you know, and eventually the night passes. And um, so now I say, okay, go back the way you came. And off I went 300 meters. And as I'm walking 300 meters, here blows in a cold front and I can't see my hand a meter in front of me. And it rains and it rains so terribly I can't even make out what's the rivers and what's whatever and now I'm going 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 and eventually it rains so much that I can't see where I am and I end up against these cliffs that's turned into waterfalls and I'm figuring out look you're gonna drown here (laughs) so the only solution is kind of you know what just go up the other side, you know. So I go up the other side. And luckily, the previous night, I, I looked at the color of the rocks and I realized they were red. So I kept going until I found red rocks. So I hit this path. And now I have to decide, left or right. And I'm so grateful to hit this path. But it's an old track. It's not being used. So I decide, okay, it's left or right. So I pick left. Off I go and eventually I end up dead end into this wall. And I realize, okay, that's good because it means I can just go the other way. But now I'm close to getting hypothermia and it's not going well. And eventually I go the other way. And by a, a little bit of an accident, I go into this little bit of another uh, track and I see there's a footprint of a runner sort of under a rock that didn't wash away. And then I knew I'm in the right direction. So off I go and I, I still don't know where I am. And, and eventually uh, I end up next to this river with these reeds. And now I don't know where to cross or should I cross, shouldn't I cross. And as I go through and I open the reeds everywhere, I got this one bright pink tag that I forgot in the middle of these reeds. Oh, and I realized, okay, you are sort of on track. So I pass the river and then I see in front of me is a mountain I won't make. It's too cold and I should right or left. So I turn left again, dead ends, and I come back. But it's now so cold. Um, I've gotten all, everything on I've got. I've eaten everything I had. I've all the two space blankets around me. And now I see I'm not going to make it. 
very far. Uh, this is one of those moments you you kind of realize this is it or not. You know what? So I think okay, let me push the track a little. Helicopter, you yeah, promise you is going to come from America. Come, I'll pay the dollars. You know, <laughs> you know. So I push the button. But then I, I I realized I must come out of the wind and there's this huge rock. So again I dig a hole behind the rock and you know put some stuff around me and uh, so so. I realized, okay, Toby, this is it. Are they going to get you or you're not going to make it? So, but I've worked out, you know, these guys are only going to come after price giving on Sunday. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so now, you know, we've passed price giving on Sunday. So it's about time. So eventually, you know, um, because I kind of found my way back and I got, kind of started moving, they could pick me up. So eventually they came there and I said, okay, we're here to save you. I said, it's fine. What's the way out? So we, they kind of took me the easy way out. And then I had the nice run knowing that I'm not going to die, you know? Yeah. So, so you get these experiences and adventures and, and, and that's, you know, that's the other side of it. it it's a certain um, grace in that because, you know, when, when I run and it gets tough, you know, you know what, I, I'm kind of a religious person. So I'd say, you know, the Lord's grace and, 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 and love is enough for me, you know, and, and in moments like that, you, you know, that that's where you go to, you, you accept the grace and, and you humble because um, that's why you do this stuff. It humbles you, you know, um, so, okay, that was a story that lost, lost its root. Like I do it normally. <laughs> no, but I, so, I, I actually have a question from that story. So my question is, how did you know to, for example, go behind a rock and all that. Do you have some other training? Because like when you're in those situations, how do you then manage to just sort of tell yourself, okay, this is what I need to do. And this is what I need to do without completely losing it. Yeah, no, look, look, uh, it's maybe my personality. I'm, uh, I, I don't ski easily. Um, I got a fear of heights, but it's actually a fear of falling, not heights, but um, but I think the bottom line is you've got so many choices and that, that's how life is. This is your choices, good, bad, doesn't matter what it is. You make the choice and, and, and you know, in life, there's, there's one thing you must never lose and that's called hope. So it doesn't mean how dire your circumstances. You make the most obvious choices. You do the most obvious thing to you that can save your life for as long as possible and for who you are and what your limitations are. And then the life works this way. You only need to do what you can do. And then we're back to what I believe. And then the Lord will sort out the rest. <laughs> and, 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 you know, your ticket will only get punched when it's time. So, so don't worry about that, that portion of it, you know, that, and, 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 you know, you just have to worry about the living bit. The dying bit doesn't matter so much. <laughs> Okay, no, that's that's good. That's helpful. And we've already spoken about your favorite race. So if you had to recommend, which one would you recommend? So not your favorite, but one that you would recommend. You know what? People are different and their needs are different. So if you, you want a more of a, a rough, a bit more technical, a bit more bunny bashing type of race, then you, you do sort of a a Cedarburg Traverse slash uh, Ultra Trail Drakensberg. If you want a bit of a faster uh, race, you do a more like a car race. If you if you want to do a, a race where you can take your family to, which has got loops running through a town, 
next to two beautiful rivers in the sea, you kind of go for the Kenton Hundred. Um, if you if you want a, a beautiful experience like Edo, we we there's animals and and uh, you know wonderful people. Then and it's a bit runnable also. Then you, you go there, so it's a lot to do with your personality and and what you like. Um, if you if you want you know hype and you want um, people, you, you know it's it's all depending on your personality and your personality will lead you to the type of race that makes you happy. For me, it's a smallish race which is really difficult, uh, of which you don't know what the outcome is going to be and where there's a promise of adventure of okay. at least getting lost at least once. So it really depends. <laughs> Toby, you make me laugh. I always joke and I always say I like getting lost because then you go out on a run, you get lost. It's like an adventure in itself. And then you find your way back. You you see, I'm the guy. You don't never ask me where the route is. When you're off the route, you ask me, where are you? And then (laughs) I'll tell you where you are. Because I've been there before. (laughs) Me too. I always say when people ask me, I'm like, oh, I get lost a lot. So I don't know. So uh, what about book recommendation? It could be running related or in general. Yeah. So so obviously um, there's a lot of wonderful full running books um, out there. A bit of this and a, and a bit of that. Um, so being South Africa, if you're South African and if you run Comrades, uh, there's a wonderful history that was written in 2012, which is a very complete history of the comrades, um, which, uh, let me just see, I've, I've written details down, which you have to read because the way it was written and the way um, comrades over the years is written there and the competition between the runners, uh, it's the Comrades Marathon, the ultimate human race by John Cameron Dew. Um, that that is such a beautiful book. It's a thick book. I like reading, so obviously you're going to have to read a bit more than you used to. Mm-hmm. But, it, but I think first of all, that's a must for South African runners. The lure of running for guys by Tim Noakes is also definitely a must. Mm-hmm. Very technical sometimes, but you know you just le- read the intro about how he describes the poetry of motion, seeing Bruce Fordyce running, and 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 then you you know you know that's what it's about. You got. Running Alone by Jackie Meckler. I'm a bit biased because Jackie Meckler gave me my green number at Comrades. And, and, and you know, having a look back there, we had such beautiful and brilliant runners in the past in South Africa, the Jackie Mecklers, the Wally Haywards, um, the Mavis Hutchinsons. Uh, there's books about, let's take Mavis Hutchinson, the galloping granny that ran across America in 69 days and ran across Britain in 60 days. And, and there's, there's older books like that that's sometimes available still that that, that you should read. And uh, then, um, you know, going maybe a bit more recent, uh, you get uh, um, there's a, a book by, uh, 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 let me just see his name quickly. I've written it down because I know my pronunciation is going to be going to catch me somewhere. Uh, almost there. Just give me a half a sec. Um, I'm sure I've written it somewhere. Uh, the Rise of the Ultra Runner by Atharan Nant Finn. He's the guy that wrote Running with Kenyans and so on. But The Rise of the Ultra Runners is such a magic book because, you know, what? he's a journalist and he started, you know, running longer. He's a fast runner. 
and starting to to meet up with with, with ultra running legends, Rand Comrades, his version of it, um, and and how he experienced the people in the area. So I think a great must is Rise of the Ultra Runners by Atharanant Finn. And then you know what we've we've got beautiful people in South Africa, Kim van Ketz, which which I love, uh, great runner, her husband Peter van Ketz has given out a book, The Eighth Summit. Now, Peter has wrote uh, the Atlantic uh, on his own in 2010, and he trekked to the South Pole in 2012. And, and you know, things like that, you know, The Eighth Summit, it's, it's a wonderful book to read. A lady that I met during the African Centurion walk on Robben Island, um, Lida Hunt, um, she was the, the third South African woman to, to go to the top of Everest. She's got a wonderful story. She's written a book, What Happens When You Say Yes. Yeah, sorry. Obviously, having walked with Lee on, on the Centurion, maybe I should just clarify what a Centurion walk is. So in South Africa, we don't have that. But uh, the Centurion walking is basically walking 100 miles under 24 hours. So it was brought to South Africa around about 2016. And the first two events was held on Robben Island. And what makes it wonderful is if you can finish that um, 100-mile walk on Robben Island, you would get a pin pin number as an African centurion walker. And yeah. it's tough to walk 100 miles in in, in, uh, in 24 hours. So you know what? We, we set off on, on the ferry over to Robben Island, and then the ferry drops us, and then we would start near the prison, and we'll walk a loop on Robben Island, the backside, coming back and, and, and doing a little loop through the prison section and so on which is absolutely beautiful. The backside of Robben Island, I mean, that wind blows you to here and there. And, but then the other side, you go past between these penguins and snakes and, and tortoises and buck and birds. And, and, and it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful. And you see it in a different way. And that ferry ride over, it's so beautiful. So what I normally used to do is I would give somebody my stuff and then I would go and run the Greenport Park run and I have to run it fast enough to make the ferry. And if I run fast enough, I can keep running from the park, run straight to the ferry, yeah. hop on the ferry, go over. And then, you know, half of the guys, a lot of overseas walkers would do it. And they're amazing walkers. And uh, then they would, uh, you know, get sick. And then I can't walk on the other side because you stand on the front of the boat. You don't stand at the back. So what I used to do, you go and stand in the ferry right in the front, you know, like on Titanic. Yeah. And then you'll see all these things in the waves. And, and, and you know what? It, that was such a magic experience. And uh, so I met Lido on there the one year, and we walked a lot of uh, with there. And such a wonderful person, and, and it's got a great story to tell. And, um, you know, we talked about the marathon, the SARP that she did. We talked about Everest. We talked about her business being attacked, almost stabbed to death in New York coming back to South Africa with $20 in a pocket and building a multi-million rand company. And you know what? You meet these people and so amazing, you know. And and then, you know, we've not even talked about a person like Hilton Murray. So the one year we got a, a, a curveball with the African Centurion walk, the weather went bad and we couldn't go with the ferry over. So they moved it to a track in Belleville we had to walk 100 miles on a 400-meter track. And Hilton Murray is the oak that pushes uh, his friend in a wheelchair with the penguin on his head. It's actually an amazing multi-day runner, fast 100-mile runner. And um, so me and Hilton, we're walking there. But the difference is Hilton is pushing 
uh, in the wheelchair for 100 miles. You, you know what? And, and, and you know, so there's so much amazing people you meet and amazing stories. And when they do write a book like Lee or Peter, um, you, you know, you have to, to read it because it, it, it gives you a lot of stuff, you know, that, that takes you on and takes you forward. Yeah. Thanks, Toby. Those are good recommendations. And then what about a movie or a TV series that you recommend? Could be running or just in general. Well, uh, look, let's stick to the running and I'll give you one odd one. When I did a double I watch you, which is a 200 mile run, you know, I, I made three attempts at it. The third one, I succeeded. Um, it's a story for another day. It's a long story. So uh, there's this movie that was made in 2017. And now, you know, I don't like unfinished business. And especially if I know I could do it and other things stop me out of my control, I have to go back and finish it. And um, so there was this movie uh, by uh, called 200 Miles, which was made in 2017, of an oak by the name of Eric Gelber. Mm-hmm. So, so Eric, at that stage, was going to do his third attempt at 200 miles. He was basically going to run 33 laps um, around Central Park in New York. And the difference between Eric and me is that he was trying to raise about a million dollars for a foundation called the Multiple... Um, Myeloma Research Foundation, which is basically a type of a cancer. And, you know, he did two attempts and he didn't finish. And now this was the third one and they were making a movie about it. And, you know, it was freely available back then. But since then, you have to buy it to see. But you, you know what? It's such a beautifully made movie. And, and, and you know, for me, having to have to run that 200 miles. And even if you find the trailer of it and you just want to hear the trailer, it starts with this metronome music of runners just running. And he's made this orange T-shirt and he's cut off the arms of this T-shirt. And basically, it's the shadow of a runner and around this runner making his form is the names of people that he knows that has died while he was trying to run uh, this 200 miles because of this disease. And on the back, everybody that helped him at the space where they they, they could say, I'm running for, and then they can fill in a name there, my dad, my son, my child, or whatever. And in between, they put in the stories of uh, people having had this disease and, and living through it. And, and it's such an emotional video. And, you know, over the, these three attempts, they actually succeeded in find, uh, you know, he calls it, it's actually the full term is a journey towards a cure. And, and now over the years, how much research could have been done with the money they made in these events and how he saved people's life. The lady said he added seven and a half years to her life wow. just by doing what he's doing, by the research that was done from a diagnosis. And, you know, they got us oak with this Springbok hat on there, saying, you know, he's standing in the shower and he's having this cancer. And as he's showering, he sees his hair falling off and washing off. And and then how he's inspired by this oak, because he says, you know what, if I run, I just run. But if he runs, he gets a million dollars for running. Yeah. And and it's such an emotional movie. And, uh, you know, at the end, he, he runs and they've got his bells and everybody's got these bells like UTD, 
which they ring when he comes past. And, you know, there's bad and terrible moments and they fill him in puking and suffering and making wrong sums because when you get tired, there's 100 seconds in a minute, not 60, and you can't do sums. And his wife is there and she cares about him and she wants him to stop. And now she's got this issue because the previous time she told him to stop. And now she felt so bad because she knew this is going to be his last attempt. And she she fears so how bad it will be for him. Will he make it? Won't he make it? So it's in there. And then at the end, you know, his children go, this little girl and his wife and, and his boy, and they run towards him and they take his hands and they ring their bells and they run to the finish and it makes it. And, and it's such a powerful moment in the movie. You know? Obviously, we've talked about 100 Mile Horizon, which, which I feel is um, something, uh, you know, if you're going to run Kartloof, you, you have to look at it. Mm-hmm. And then another one I, I do enjoy is um, found on 49, the Jim Wormsley story. It's the 2016 one when it was doing his uh, first 100 miler. And, uh, you know, he ran well and he was running to beat a record. And then he made the wrong turn and he got lost. And then they pick him up walking here on Highway 49, lost and not knowing where he is. And, and they make the story. And he's an absolutely phenomenal runner. But... You know what? And there was a follow-up the year when he came after that. And um, and I'll tell you something is the honesty and the humility of the person that's Jim Walmsley is told so wonderful by that one and the next one that if you if you just look at the way he deals with the fact that he got lost and he's buggered it up and it and and he comes back with humility and he does it and he breaks the record. And and obviously Ryan Sandoz was happy he got lost because that's the year he won. But um, you know that all or nothing type of thing. You know, um, so so that's definitely a movie um, you have to to watch. And uh, so there's some more, but I'll, I'll skip that. I'll, uh, just the odd movie I do like personally is is The Martian by by Matt Damon, mm-hmm. where he gets left behind on Mars. And yes. and, and the reason I like that. Um, maybe I'm silly, you know, maybe it's my personality, is because it's a bit like a hundred miler. You're You're on your own. You you, you know what? Um, You have to make it work. You you sit there, you, like he says in the trailer, you know, okay, there's the moment, you know, you're going to die like me in the Cedarburg. This is it. You (laughs) You have to to make peace with it or do something. And, yeah. and now you say, bugger that, I'm not going to die. I'm going to, uh, you know, make a plan and, and, and make it work. And uh, and eventually, he's a bit botanist, and he always makes this joke. He says, I'm the best botanist on the whole planet, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and literally, he, and, and sorry for the people listening, he uses his own shit to grow potatoes to survive. But, but you know, there's something in that. And there's something that's in that is never give up hope. Doesn't matter what, what you are, what your circumstances is, just give the next step. Just do the next thing. And life will sort out the rest. You know, and, and that's why I like the movie, because it's a movie about if you're all alone on a, a, another planet, 140 million miles away from other people, you can still make it. Because somewhere, somewhere out there, there's somebody that cares about you and will do as much as they can to help you. And that's what the community of running means, you know, and the Martian is special. That's, it tells a bit of that, you know. And uh, where can we find you on social media? I know yeah, you do a lot of um, stuff about also the 100 miles in South Africa. 
Yeah, so so look, I'm I'm not a social media person very much. Uh, I work too hard and uh, I talk too much. Um, <laughs> so on, on Facebook, you'll see I'll post a bit of stuff about events that I've done somewhere. Um, many years ago, when I realized that 100 Miles is struggling a bit and so on, I, I opened 100 Miles South Africa group. And we kind of use it to, you know, keep everybody informed, give a platform to people to see who's doing what and what's new and, and what's old and sort of, you know, just capture the history and the pictures of, of, of what we're doing, running 100 miles in South Africa. And uh, yeah, so, so yeah, that's where I am basically on Facebook. Uh, there's not a lot uh, else where you will see me. Okay, that's it. That's the last question. Okay, brilliant. I think I've talked too much. I'm sorry, Linda. No, no, no. It's okay. Thank you very much, Toby. Thank you. Wonderful. Have a good evening.